Well, reason for the call today, John, is... Welcome to Internal Use Only. Something just came across my desk, John. It is perhaps the best thing I've seen in the last six months. If you have 60 seconds, I'd like to share the idea with you. Got a minute? A podcast for wholesalers. Always be closing. Always be closing. By wholesalers. Blue Horseshoe loves Anacott Steel. Okay, before we get started, I have one question. Has anyone here passed a Series 7 exam? I have a Series 7 license. Good for you. You can get out. Let's cut to the chase. Here's your host, Dan Sullivan. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Internal Use Only Podcast. If you are a new listener... Thank you so much for spending time with us today, and if you're a recurring listener, it's great to have you back. Robin Crane, CFP, joins today's show. She coaches financial advisors on all things prospecting and sales with a focus on serving female advisors. Throughout the interview, we'll touch on communication gaps that exist between men and women in the industry, Robin's most successful prospecting frameworks that she uses with her clients today, and why high-volume, dial-for-dollars approaches are outdated. Make sure you check out the show notes to visit Robin's website, where you can access a number of free resources, including one of my favorites, which is the masterclass on getting an endless supply of ideal prospects. If you've enjoyed the show, please take a second to rate and review us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Internal Use Only Podcast for show updates, polls, and more. Let's send it over to today's interview with Robin Crane. It's my pleasure to welcome Robin Crane to the show. Robin, it's lovely to have you on. For the listeners tuning in, Robin and I just recorded an episode for Hard Podcast. So this is kind of like the second half of our interview. So we're coming in hot here. Robin, how are you today? What's been going on in your world? Oh, man, I'm awesome. I was telling you before we started recording, like the, there's thunder and lightning. I don't know what the storm is, but um, and so I got two dogs, one's on my lap and one's in the back. And we'll see if there's uh, there's any barking. I always start off my conversations with just a, a brief background for our guests. We, you are now a coach, speaker, author. You did a keynote recently, which we're definitely going to talk about. But how did you initially start your coaching program? Tell us about your advisor experience and then why you did want to start a coaching program. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, I became a financial advisor. I got licensed in 2006. My first year was 2007. We all know what happened in 2008. So um, that was a bit of a roller coaster. Um, and and I was an advisor for about, about 10 years. And I realized I was just a lot better at helping people make money than I was at growing it. You know, I definitely like felt very stressed, like with the shifts of the market. I don't think it was because like I came in and then the market crashed 50% in 2008. I think it's just my personality that it's like, I take on this like heavy burden, almost like of I want to make sure to do the right thing. And then I felt like I wasn't that great at investing. And so even though I was good at building relationships, I was really good at coaching, really good at helping them get clear on what they wanted, getting them out of their own way, mindset, a lot of the stuff that affects financials and money and financial future. But I actually felt like I was really bad at the investing side. And so I, I left the industry um, in the end of 2015. And then I I basically um, started coaching. I had been doing both for a while. Like my husband and I in 2012 had some sales seminars because 
I couldn't figure out how to grow my financial business and I was struggling. And so in order to do that, I invested in a lot of seminars and invested in a lot of um, personal growth events and all the things to like try to get myself in a place where I could be successful. And then my husband and I in 2012 were teaching like sales mastery events. And, and so then it started, we started to get kind of both, you know, clients that were growing their business and then, you know, clients, of course, for the financial side. And, and, and then there were like compliance issues, of course. And so I was like, ah, I got to like, you know, figure out what path I'm going on and, and what I was best at and what I was best at was definitely the coaching side. So then I jumped into that and, and actually at first I was just like, okay, who am I going to work with? Like, I guess, you know, women entrepreneurs and and I'm a woman and I'm an entrepreneur. So why not work with women entrepreneurs? Like sometimes that's how we pick our target market. And so I started that with Facebook ads and it, it just didn't really land. Like it just wasn't really working. Got a lot of women who were, you know, kind of hobbyists. They weren't really growing their business, weren't really willing to invest in the coaching side. And then uh, my Facebook ad consultants suggested, hey, why not work with financial advisors and help women who are financial advisors because you were one and you can relate and that makes sense. I'm like, but I wasn't that successful. Like, I don't think I'm like a really good role model for them. And so I, I really didn't want to do it at first, but then I like, okay, let's give it a shot and realize that a lot of like my, my biggest asset was the fact that I didn't get, wasn't successful just immediately. And then I had to go through the same struggles that a lot of these women went through and was able to break through and had a, you know, six figure business, at least as a financial advisor. Um, and then once I really got clear and was better at business coaching, then got to seven figures and, and so on. So there's the, the, the background in a nutshell. I want to cover the, the clients that you work with today because wholesalers, the large majority of our audience, they are always interested in hearing about who you're working with, some of the current events or topics, maybe ways that you are actually helping your clients, which are, to my understanding, primarily female financial advisors. But do you, would you describe it that way as your audience? Do you work with um, only females? Is limited to help us understand those people that you're serving today in your financial advisor coaching program? Yeah. So when, when you first, uh, and, and I know, I don't know how many of you are familiar with like online marketing, but I wanted to really scale. And so that's how I decided, okay, I'm going to like put a lot of eggs in my basket and go after like Facebook. Cause you know, what I heard was if you want to build a seven figure business, you do Facebook ads. And so when we did that, you got to be really clear on who is that target market. And like I said, when we tried female entrepreneurs, like it was too broad and it didn't work and it just won't work if, if you're that broad, typically, unless, I don't know, maybe if you're selling a low ticket product. I don't know how to do that. But um, but so when we decided we, okay, instead of just female entrepreneurs, let's go to um, females in financial services, which included some you know insurance um, professionals who are selling like uh, annuities and, and um, life insurance and things like that. Um, it was a lot more successful because I was more targeted. So then we you know, the last seven years, we've mostly been working with women. And then occasionally, you know, I have someone come on that's like, oh, I listen to your podcast on Michael Kitsy's show. And like, I'm not, I'm not a woman, but can I work with you? And I'm like, sure. You know, so it's not that we have to work with that gender. And Michael actually said the same thing on his podcast. He was like, so do your strategies only work for women? And I'm like, no, of course they work for men as well. It's just that I think some of the things when it comes to mindset, like some of the blocks that that I've had um, as an advisor and as a business owner and and many women have are, are the mindset stuff that I think a lot of men experience, but at a, a little slightly differently and maybe at a different level. And there's a lot of things I'm working on when it comes to mindset that I've helped a lot of women get like get past and break through so they can really do very, very well in their financial business. And now I'm, you know, I just did a keynote recently. There were men and women in the room. I did not say women only, you know, and so now I have more male clients. And I definitely think that 
the industry needs like a whole paradigm shift. Like I think the industry needs, you know, more women for sure. So that we can have a change in the way that we do business. But I also think like we need men to be on board with that. And like men also need to be better at getting female clients because, you know, the wealth transfer is going to women. And so a lot of men also, I think one of, one of the value adds that I bring is like to understand how to communicate with women and how to help them get better results and how to help them get, get out of their own way. So they, you know, can can shift their mindset and and be where they want to be. So I don't think it matters really the gender, but that was just my path as far as like, you know, targeting the marketing so that it works better. Um, and I do think it is needed in the industry because it's very archaic and very male dominated. It still is. It's still very male dominated. Like totally. the, the the culture of the industry is more, maybe more so than others. You you hit the nail on the head though with the demographic shift that's occurring. Like there's no there's no surprise, or there should be no surprise to anybody that the wealth transfer will end up being more proportionately towards females than probably any other generation. I think there's definitely like, I mean, there are a lot of women who let's say on the, not, not the advisor side, but I think this is relevant for wholesalers as well, but on the, let's say, you know, end user, the client who have, have a story, like so many women have a story where they're like, you know, the advisor was not talking to me, even though I'm the breadwinner, the advisor was just talking to my husband. And even though I'm the breadwinner, like he wouldn't even look at me and, or I'm not the breadwinner. And like, I didn't understand. And so I didn't want to look stupid, you know, and, and, and going back to the wholesalers, like, I, I think that could be very similar too. If you're, if you want to build relationships with female advisors is that if you don't know how to communicate with them and it's not like, you know, there's, a ton of differences, but there are differences and, and women like to talk and women like to feel heard. And we don't want to feel like, you know, like you're not gonna, like, we're afraid of judgment. Like there's definitely like a heavier fear around judgment, I think. And, and maybe I'm, I'm wrong, but I mean, the amount of times, like my husband has said to me, just because it's not a compliment does not mean it's criticism. Right. I mean, I'm a very confident woman. And like, if he doesn't compliment me, I assume it's a criticism. Like, it's, he says, this is just a fact. You're not good at this. And I'm like, well, that doesn't feel good. <laughs> you know, like, I know I'm not good at that, but you saying that is not helping. Right. And so it's not like he's trying to hurt me, but some of the ways that he communicates as a confident man who kind of, you know, I hate to get in the gender thing, but it's like, I could easily misinterpret it in a way because of, just the way that he chooses to communicate. Right. And this is like one of the big things that, you know, in our relationship that we're working on and like, cause he's so loving and so amazing. And I'm like, I know you love me, but just because you love me and you say, you're not judging me, which I believe doesn't mean I don't feel judged. Going back to just the industry as a whole, regardless of whether it's men or women, I think communication is just a really good thing to consider in any sales position and any type of relationship building thing is like how important it is to communicate in a way that is again, well-received and it's also like driving action. Right. And I'm a big, big believer in sales and conversion and I love fast action. And I, I'm like, like, you know, it's not the shit or get off the pot type of thing, but it's definitely like, we want to move people and the move people is drive action and to drive action is to create transformation and to create transformation is like what we need in the world. Um, so, so like if you're not communicating well, like you can't drive anything. And the only way we can really change anyone's life is, is, is to drive, you know, fast action. So I went off on a different tangent than I know we were talking about, but it's like, I do think communication is so important when it comes to like the you know position of a wholesaler and making sure that they get what they want and they bring people value. 
Can you think of any experiences or maybe anecdotes unintentionally, maybe a male had come off the wrong way or had a particular habit or way of communicating that he may or may not have been aware of. And that really like irked you or maybe it was something you heard. Cause I think those are the real example stories that are useful. Cause we could always, we could have a whole seminar on here's the personality traits that women like, and that would be so terrible for a group of men to be in a room. Like here's how you communicate to women. Right. <laughs> like that would, that would, we'd all get canceled for that, but maybe like an actual story that you can think of. Yeah. I mean, I really do believe that we are wired differently and that most women like their um, tolerance for uh, for judgment and it, like, you know, fear of and let's say the tolerance for being judged is lower, lower tolerance for being judged and meaning like a higher, a much higher fear of being judged. And so even if I know whether it's this media team telling me I need to change something or this isn't good enough or whatever, or, you know, and even if I know I'm pretty good at this or whether it's, you know, my Facebook ads guys telling me like, do this or do that. Like I, I'm going to assume I did something wrong. And this also might be my upbringing, but I think a lot of women can relate to this is like the concern about doing something wrong. And so if someone says something, I do often take something that like is to get to mean to be critic criticism, even though it's not. And so I guess my biggest thing is like, you know, knowing all this stuff about me and when I started to feel small and felt like I wasn't enough, it sometimes has to do with a man, what feels like to me. And I think it's my perception, but talking down to me like that I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy of this. And I think it's, it's, it's definitely like internally, like in my insecurities. Um, and, but I can tell you there's certain people like certain guys, I never feel like that. Cause they know how to talk to me in a way that doesn't make me feel small. And there are certain guys, you know, and they could be successful, you know, making $10 million a year, hundred million dollars a year, you know, like whatever, like big success. And some people just the way they talk to me, it's like, Oh, I don't feel less than. And then some guys it's like, no matter what I feel, the way they talk to me makes me feel like I'm not good enough. So, and I hate even saying makes me feel because I feel like it's not taking responsibility, but I do think that's like an awareness that people could have of like the way in which you, your tone of voice, even when it comes to that, when it comes to a professional dynamic, we'll lay out the hypothetical situation, wholesaler, male wholesaler that walks into the office that happens to maybe uh, spark those doubts or insecurities. Just, you, you don't, you don't rub elbows well with that person. It's like, ah, really mm -hmm. don't like you. Can't explain why. Maybe it's all these reasons. Do you see a situation in the workforce where that ever happens? Or would you just think that naturally you're probably not going to want to do business with that person who comes in and is trying to sell you something? Like, is there a way to get over that? You mean? Yeah, totally. Cause that's where the rubber meets the road for all of this, which is like an alienating of your prospect pool, which would be like, oh damn, like I might not even realize that I come across that way. And I think that's where so many men get embarrassed because they're like, oh my God, like, holy shit. I had no idea. Like I had no idea that I either intentionally or unintentionally, I guess maybe not intentionally, unintentionally right. made that person dislike me. And in a sales capacity, that sucks because obviously you don't want to alienate anyone that is a prospect, let alone be a good human being, you know, I guess two different things. Yeah. I think that's a great question. I think there are ways easier to prevent it than to fix it. It's just like a sale. Like I'm not as into objection handling as I am in, in as into anticipating objections. 
I'd rather anticipate objections with storytelling. And, you know, I know what their objections are. So I'll handle those objections well before they have them. Because if I get someone and I'm trying to close a deal and then they give me an objection, like I'm not that into, I understand the way you feel. I've felt that way too. But I've found, you know, that bullshit of like, yeah, you, you, I know the reason you think you can't work with me is because money, but that's the reason you need to work with me. Like, I don't like that kind of like bullshit strategy. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this. And that's no, why you can. You can. Yeah, We're good. I'm, I'm this woman that's not the delicate flower. Um, so, so I think it's easier to prevent it. And I think there are easy ways to do that. And I, I think the way is like to have a system where, especially if you're going in to create a relationship is that never pitch, like always ask questions. You know, I don't want to know how amazing your product is. I don't want to know like what you can bring, you know, like bring me if you haven't asked me what I want. And so what would rub me the wrong way if a wholesaler comes in and, and starts telling, you know, like, oh, how's your day? Well, you know, bull crap, like just trying to like, pr- like pretend like they're building rapport, tell me about your kids, whatever, which I think is like the typical, like old school form, family, occupation, recreation, motivation, you know? And it's like, okay, fine. If that helps people like get through, like to have their rapport when they don't really know how to do it, fine. But I have a you know sales process that I think can be used by anyone. That's that's probably familiar to you. Some it's not like I made it up, but that's really just like, hey, you know, what made you curious to invest the time and chat with me today? And then you shut it. And it's really hard for me because I'm a talker. It's really hard for my husband. He's definitely a talker. But like, then pause and they say something like, if you're talking to you know whether it's a female advisor or a male advisor. And they're like, oh, well, I want to know what products you have. Still, you don't start going off on your products. Like it has to be relevant to them. Like that everybody says like, what's their favorite radio station? W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me? So understanding like, well then, you know, either you go with the challenges, if you have enough rapport, you can say, well, what are your biggest challenges or, or concerns when it comes to growing your business? Because that's what they're thinking about. That's what they care about. And if you're coming in and not just being the solution of, you know, well, I'm going to give you products. So you have something good to offer. Like, it doesn't matter how good the products are. We can get like information online. We can get products anywhere. Like it's never the product. Like they're buying that person. Like the advisor is really the person that they're, they're going to work with. And if the advisor says they should use your products, they're going to use it. If the advisor says they're not, they're not. So you don't have to sell them on your products eventually they have to believe that it's going to be valuable to their client. But if you don't understand their real problems and what they want, then like you're way behind already, you know? So I would just seek to understand like what your concerns or what's not working your business, like listen and majority of the time, listen. And then it's like, well, what do you want? Um, You know, my system is just like FCC, MW, yes, letter offer. The, the like stripped down version is FCC is frustrations, concerns, and challenges. So like after you build rapport and you're like, what made you curious, invest the time and chat with me, you might say like, what are your concerns? Right? Like I just said, and then you're like, well, what would you like? If you could wave a magic wand, MW magic wand, if you can wave a magic wand. What would you like? Tell me about that. And then you got to dig, you got to dig. I mean, this is like sales one-on-one. I would assume everybody knows this, but sometimes those assumptions are wrong because I know how the financial industry is. Like they're still like horrible at sales. They're still fact finding and doing all the stuff and pitching and all, all those things. Um, so once you understand what they really want, magic wand, then yes, ladder just means you got to make sure to get like, there's this part of our brain called the critter brain that's designed to keep us safe. And it's the fight or flight. Right. 
And so it's like, we got to make sure there's the fears out of the way. So you can ask them, well, do you see how this could really help you if you felt confident in the products you were you were providing for your clients? Does it make sense if you know you had a support system where we could develop a marketing plan together so I could support you in, in your marketing, in your marketing efforts so that you can, you know, get more ideal prospect or ideal prospects and ideal clients and you get some yeses, right? And then it's the offer. And what's the offer? Like Ideally, it's more of a relationship. It's just the next step. Like, hey, is this, you know, would you like to hear more about like specifically how I can help you with your marketing and sales? And then we can go into, you know, what kind of products will showcase you so that you're just like, you know, the smartest person on the planet that like you have all these amazing, you know, options for them where they can grow their money in a more efficient and effective way. Does that make sense? Yeah. And what's what's the acronym again? All the the letters there? Yeah. FCC which is frustrations, concerns, and challenges, MW, magic wand. Then I say yes, ladder and offer. All right. I call it the FCC sales system. I I do. I do want to highlight what you brought up, which is just a much, much better introductory and open set of questions. Yeah. I have something that's a little bit more in depth. If you want, it's usually for like a strategy session. That's kind of next level when you're driving them to action, but if, um, and, and it's still on the female financial advisors, but I'll give you the link if they want to get it. I was just double checking it. But if you go to femalefinancialadvisors.com forward slash cheat sheet, let's see if it goes there. Um, it might be cheat. Uh, yeah. Cheat sheet. It'll get you there. So, and then you can get the ideal client capture cheat sheet. And it's basically what I just said, but it's seven, seven questions instead of four. So it basically has a little bit of a like pre-frame with the curiosity question. And then it has more of the closing stuff, but it, you can, you kind of use the in-between parts too, but it, it's the same system. It's just a little bit more in depth and you guys can get that there, even though it says female financial advisors, but that's, that'll take you there, but it's still, uh, you could probably figure it out and work with it anyway. Nothing, nothing will go wrong if you access that and you are a male in the industry. (laughs) (laughs) You might get marketed to a lot, but uh, you know, you could always opt out later. True. Your, your Instagram ads might change uh, slightly instead of the microphone, listening to your dinnertime conversations, it'll be uh, female financial professional resources. Uh, So the, you talked about this just a moment ago and I wanted to carve out some time to discuss it. The ideal client capture. So this is something that you have worked on with a number of financial advisors. I know from my conversations with wholesalers and even guests on this show that creating ideal client profiles, very popular, common, and necessary for an advisor. But it's a little, it's a little bit less popular, I would say, on the wholesaler side of the business. But if I understand correctly, I think you had a recent example where there was a little bit overlap with a wholesaler. Can you explain that story and how you're working with them or how you use that framework to assist a wholesaler? Yeah. So um, the ideal client capture cheat sheet is more on like the closing, uh, like once you get in front of an ideal prospect. But my whole thing is like, uh, I just did a keynote that's attract ideal clients and clone them like magic. So the idea, this cloning idea is, is my thing that I like to talk about. And I think it's, uh, you know, at the keynote, I had a wholesaler come up to me and he's like, I'm, you know, I'm here with the table, but like, I love this stuff and I want to learn how to use this because he's, he's doing the kind of old school thing, you know, dialing for dollars and calling everybody and just trying to like get appointments. And if he could just get appointments with, or, or not even just get appointments, but get more appointments with ideal prospects, those ideal financial advisors or, or ideal, you know, managers, whomever you're trying to um, work with, then he would make more money in less time, right? So, so the idea is, I, I like to call the, I call it the rule of ten. So um, the the idea is that you think of who's one person that if I cloned them ten times, I would be able to meet or exceed my revenue goal. 
So if I was a wholesaler, I'd say, okay, do I have, and there are three levels. So it's like level one is in your book of business. So I'd say, okay, do I have someone in my existing book of business where I have a financial advisor who I have an amazing relationship with, who I feel like I provide tremendous transformational value. I get paid well. I love working with that person. And, and you know, that I would love, if I could just get 10 more of those, man, like it would be amazing. I would think that even more so for a wholesaler, this would work even better because you're like, if that one advisor is killing it and just loves you and you're helping them with marketing, you're helping them with their whole plan and you're, you're supporting them and hooking them up with dinners and sponsorships and all that stuff. Like if I were an advisor, I'd be loving you and what amazing relationship. And you're like, okay, I just need nine more of those. But instead of saying I need nine more of those, I would say, I need to clone this guy or this woman 10 more times, you know, and let's say, you know, just, I always do easy math, but I don't know like how the numbers work for you guys. But if you say, well, if this client made me, you know, in commissions or whatever, an extra $10,000, well, then I know if I get nine more of them, I'll make a hundred grand. So now I'm just on this quest to try to get nine more of these guys, let's say. Um, And so what you do is you're like, well, what are the characteristics of this person? You want to do demographics and psychographics. So if you're, if you're looking at a pool of financial advisors, there's definitely going to be people who are new in the industry. You're going to see people who have been in the industry 30 years are going to be people who are doing, you know, millions or they have millions, if not billions under management. They're people that are, you know, maybe selling more insurance or maybe you're a wholesaler for annuities, right? So you want to like say, well, what is their focus or what are the characteristics about them demographically? Like how long have they been in the business? What are the products they tend to sell? You know, maybe it's a location because you have a territory. So where do they live? Those sort of things. And then you want to look at psychographics. Then the psychographics would be, you know, are, are they coachable? Are they, what do they like to do? You know, what are the things that are important to them? What are their values? And so when you start to notice those things, you can clone them. And I also think like one, in one way you clone them by getting really understanding them. You can do, you can have better messaging. I always talk about how messaging is like pretty unfamiliar in the financial industry. I'm assuming same as wholesalers. It's like, nobody knows what messaging is. And messaging is the only thing that drives beliefs and beliefs is the only thing that drives behaviors and the behavior that you want are more appointments and more clients and more relationships. Right? So in order to create or craft compelling messaging, you need to understand this person, the person you want to clone, their real problems and what they really want, what makes them tick, like what's keeping them up at night, all those things. And that has to be in your messaging. And if you're not regurgitating what they're thinking or what they're saying, then you're not really connecting with them. And you're just like, it's blanketed marketing. My initial reaction to that, and I would love the audience to give me some feedback through email, internal use only podcast at gmail.com or the podcast Instagram, which is so much easier. I feel like wholesalers out there have a lot of that demographic information somewhere. Like they know, or their firms probably know who is a person that's capable of, of carrying my sales run for the calendar year. People that are capable of doing the business that will get us to our sales goals and AUM tiers. What I'd be fascinated to hear is how well anyone out there has that psychographic aspect that you just described, because there's not much of that characterization going on. And interestingly enough, as I'm now saying this on this in this conversation, some of the people that tend to give the most time to wholesalers, they might actually be the worst possible person to clone as a prospect that you would like to bring on as a new client to get you money. Yeah, the focus is... And when you say demographics, I think that's including like the, how much, how big of a producer they are, right? Like mostly those are probably the numbers that you're getting is like, well, how much do they do in, 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 you know, in 
production total, right? So, you know, they're a top producer, but then also looking at maybe how much they sold as far as like for your company. Um, but I would imagine, you know, even those two comparisons that the first one, it's going to be really hard to get an appointment with someone who's already really successful, but most of these successful people are going to also be like, not necessarily have all the time freedom in the world. Like the beauty of the financial industry is you have recurring revenue, but it's like, it never ends because the more AUM you have, the more clients you have, the more servicing you have, the more stress you have, the more people are relying on you, unless you're really good at leveraging your time. And like, you know, like most people, most financial advisors aren't. So I would even just guess that if you're really going to high top producers, understanding that they don't have time for you and acknowledging that is going to be better messaging than just like, Hey, you want to meet for coffee? I'll take you out for a drink. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't have time for a drink with someone I don't give a crap about, but like, Hey, you're going to show me how to save a, a ton of time. All right. Like I'm listening, you know, I've enjoyed having folks that work with advisors to share that angle and perspective, just in a more objective fact of the matter way, because at the end of the day, the wholesalers are just going to continuously knock on the doors. And when it comes to messaging, I got to say, I feel like wholesalers at large asset management firms are just all messed up in the head when it comes to messaging, because they like largely they have to have things approved by compliance. Yeah. Or there's a marketing comms department that like makes up half of their messing, which which completely sucks. Like, oh, so and, it's, and it's yeah, it's terrible. I mean, it's 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 a nightmare. And then when they do get these good ideas, like you're sharing right now, even if someone knows it's going to be a home run, there's still going to be some hesitation and reservations that that's what they lead with, and that's what's going to show up in their CRM system or their or their activity log for that advisor in their Salesforce or in their HubSpot, whatever their CRM is. So it's just, it, there's like this tension that makes people, even in their heart of heart, they know I need to be messaging and doing this. They're like reluctant to do it because we're all just like messed up in the head for what we think is the right way to communicate or message. Well, and, and I love that because I think this is where the paradigm shift comes in. Like there it's, it's like, you got to be different. You have to think outside the box, like go read all the like good books out there for entrepreneurs, like not just the uh, Wolf of Wall Street, pound the pavement, dial for dollars, grind, grind, hustle, hustle, grind. Like that's the industry from its core from the beginning of time is about the hustle and grind. And that's where wholesalers like learned everything. And like, and even the stock, you know, uh, what is it? Stock seller, whatever you call it. Like, what do you call a stock? Someone who sells stocks at first. Stock broker. Stock yeah. broker. God, I couldn't think broker. of it. Yeah. See, there we go. Brain fart. So the, the brokers, right? Like that's where the industry came from, which is why I'm like really adamant about making this shift because people are people. It's like, we don't want that anymore. We don't want to be hunted. We don't want to feel like you're just, we're just a number. Like it, like with everything going on with inundated with social media, like all the, all the stuff, it's like everything's so fast. Right. And if you feel like, like a, just a number, just someone who like, I'm just another call on your freaking you know, list of, it sounds like 10,000 instead of 100 for the wholesalers, but like, it doesn't feel good. And if you're just going through, like, I'm just, a, just a number. Like, I know if I call this many people, I'm going to get this much, like, that's what they teach you because that's all they know. And what I would like highly recommend is like, be different, like do it differently. Don't let it just be a numbers game because you want to make more money in less time. You want to make more money and help more people. Like you have to do something different. And I think like the industry needs like a huge, like, you know, put the brakes on because yes, it works to hound people, but it doesn't, it's not building relationships. It's not building a good reputation. And I think Everybody knows, even from when I started almost 20 years ago, like that the really successful people are focused on building relationships. And you might have started with like hitting a ton of numbers. And then, like you said on my podcast, like 
I had to call so many people after a hundred, you want to give up, but then someone says yes, after they said no a hundred times or 99 times. And you're like, yes, I got through. And then you get to change their life. But I think like gone are those times, you know, where like you have to do that many, because instead, if you took the time, instead of like all the calls you have to make and and no one's going to like you, like whoever is, you know, your supervisor or whatever that makes money off of you because they think you got to do it this way. They might not like that you do it differently, but here's what happens with my clients. Nobody likes it until they start seeing the numbers go up. And then everybody asks, how did you do that? How did you do that? How did you do that? So you could be the one that says, wait, let me really think about who I want to attract. Let me really figure out like, I'm just going to get 10 new ideal financial advisors. I'm going to clone them. And on the path, I'll probably get another 15 or 20, but on the path to finding that person, it's going to raise my credibility. It's going to allow me to have better messaging. It's going to allow me to connect more, to build a better relationship. And as I do that, it's going to completely up-level my credibility and authority in this community. And, and then I'll make more money and you will. It doesn't mean you you let up and you you're you know you don't actually be persistent. It just means you're intentional and you're like you go for it. Like you want to you want to hit the winners, not just like hit you know the base hits. I guess yeah. I just used a baseball analogy. Barely, barely got it out of my mouth, but I think that was the right analogy. It, it, it was well Instead done. Instead of the home it runs, was well right? done. <laughs> yeah, sing, singles and doubles, not home runs. Which exactly is, is there it is part of the lexicon for many 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 portfolio managers and PMs in the industry there. They'll, they'll say that, you know, they'll describe their funds. Like we're not looking for home runs. We're looking for single and doubles, which is more or less a, a blanket way of saying the stocks will return. They'll be modest, but you know, we're not going to get any massive gains out of any picks we've got. So always fun. And the, the language that investment professionals have to use to make things sound normal. <laughs> right, right, right. I can't get over how many desk sales, desk managers. And, and again, everyone's just doing their job. So it's easy for me to, to say this being in the seat that I'm in. No one puts in that critical thought to just say, okay, if we let's just forget what we were told about the correlation between volume and activity and phone calls. And, and I, I had experienced some of this uh, at various points in my career. And even recently, I'm just like, I can't explain to you why, but I have the strongest conviction that just telling someone to make a large volume of outbound dials makes no goddamn sense. And the reason part of that is because what, what happens if I get a phone call from someone I don't know? Audience, yeah. I'm looking at my phone. I do, immediately, Their I don't answer, pick yeah. it. And it's, it's because I don't care to have a casual conversation with someone out of the blue. And that's what And it's a sales call. Like we even know on our phone if it's a sales call at this stage. Like Everyone knows that. I mean, I can't even believe they still do that because the do not call list and all the things. But it's, but I, I, going back to your point, like I think it's really hard to, to make that shift. And I, I think the whole financial industry, not as much maybe as the wholesaler industry, but like financial industry still like it's sometimes I get, you know, clients who are just, they're scared because everybody says, do it this way. And if they just make this many calls, they'll get this result. And it's like the 10, three, one thing, you know, like this is what we were taught. Like you, you have a 10 prospects, you have three appointments and you get one client, but that's bullshit. Like that is not what everybody has. And it's not universal that like 10, three, one, like, let's actually look at the KPIs and look at the numbers. How many people do you really have to call? And what are your KPIs to like get that client? And if you were intentional with who you want to attract, maybe it would be 10, three, one, you know, or maybe it would be five, three, one, or maybe it would be five, three, two, you know, it's like, and, and it's like, we have to look at the real numbers, but I just think like so many advisors, wholesalers, they're getting rewarded the activity, not for the result. And like, it's got to be the result. And that's just a common sense thing. But when you're in that environment 
and you're going to be chastised men or women, women are going to take it harder, but like men or women, you're going to be chastised. You're going to be shushed, shunned, secluded, whatever. If you don't do the activity and they say, well, will you do this much activity? It works. Like it's hard not to do that. But then what you, what I get people coming to me all the time is like, Robin, I did what they told me to do again and again and again. I did it. I did the numbers. I followed the, like I talked to everybody and everybody. I called my list of 100. Like I talked to friends and family. Like I made the calls. I, I made, did the appointments and I did not get the result. And they told me I could make hundred grand my first year. And I only made 20 grand and it sucks because they did the work. And maybe it's different for wholesalers, but I would guess it's not that it's like you're doing the work sometimes and you could be hardcore doing everything they told you to do and still not get the results. So what does that mean? You're just, there's something wrong with you. I mean, maybe, or maybe there's something wrong with the system. Maybe there's a different way to do it that you maybe don't feel congruent doing that. And so you are sabotaging it because you don't have the right mindset to back that up. But if you felt like really congruent with like, oh, I love helping Michael and I just want to, you know, really find 10 more Michael, nine more Michaels. And I'm going to really understand him so well that if I talk to someone like him, they're going to be like, you get me and do that. Like you might feel more congruent with it. And then even just mindset wise, like you'll just get a better result because of it. Where the concern comes in for the average wholesaler is that that activity, that thought process, thinking about how to do it differently would detract from their bare minimum activity metrics that more or less keep their job intact. So it's the, it's the most, it's the, it's the weirdest dynamic. I've talked about it with other wholesalers on the show before. It's like, you can have, you could, you could sit bottom middle-ish to the bottom tier of your, of your team's sales trade run, hit all your activity and you'll be, you'll be fine. You could I mean, be a couple, yeah, like you, won't you, won't get get, fired. you won't get fired. You won't get fired. You could stay at that level for a few years. You probably still won't get fired. Cause if things get bad, you can just say, well, I'm, well, I'm doing my activity and no one's going to be like, well, you're doing the activity, but are you actually building like new clients? Did you, did you get more than five net new advisors to do business last year? Like those questions don't get asked. So that's kind wow. of why that activity gets, you know, that, that, that's that's how it is. And it's even worse for the internal sales desk, which is a completely new beast that we don't need to talk about. We can do a separate episode on, but I'm just, that's the rationale that comes in. Yeah, it's, it's, it's activity-based, not results-based. <laughs> I, I don't know the way to change that other than, you know, maybe may, you know, maybe the the stepping stone is that you do both. Like if you're, if right now, like your job is contingent upon activity, you get your dials in, get your dials in, smile and dial, do the thing, but take a little bit of time to understand who you're really trying, like who on that list, you like, who are your whales? Like who are the, and they don't have to be big whales, but at least big fish that you really want to attract. And, and don't just say the like exact um, messaging, which is their script, like that they tell you to say, like, see, can you use your brain? You could even use chat GPT. Like think about like a different way to approach them with a different script that really speaks to them and their problems. And then you get your dials in, then you get your numbers in, but then you get a better result. Like if you're putting no attention on that, like I would say like, it's not your fault if they're making you do all that activity and we'll fire you if you don't. So I get it. You have to do the activity, but it is your fault if you're not willing to take a little extra time to carve out like, you know, some better messaging, some better system. It is, maybe it's not your fault, but you do have more control if you decide, hey, I'm going to be the, like, I'm going to be the leader, not the follower. I'm going to do something a little bit different. And you know what? As long as I do my activity, they're not going to fire me. They get, may give me some shit, but I can handle it. And then I'm going to just like keep stretching outside my comfort zone, 
take, you know, take those steps and then they'll be the ones coming to you going, how did you do that? How did you do that? And that's the only way we're going to change the industry. Otherwise, like it ain't happening. Otherwise, you know, or maybe you can tell them to hire me and I'll come in and change everything. You know, I mean, if that's an option, I guess. This is what we'll do. Well, you'll hire Robin. Uh, she'll do uh, bring down the guardrails on all meaningless outbound activity. You'll focus yourself on the right stuff. Case and then, study. And like the results will go. Yeah, let's go. I'll, ta- I'll take it. If I had a company that said, okay, take a hundred advisors and you do it your way and I'll take a hundred advisors and we'll do it our way. Let's see who wins. Like I'd take that bet. I would take that bet. If anyone's listening, you want to take that bet? I'll take that bet. Or just give me 20 to start. I will proudly join. We'll uh, we'll turn it to a content piece brought to you by internal use only. We'll, we'll, this this will be the promo clip. We'll get it going. Awesome. awesome. Well, this has turned into a phenomenally fun conversation, Robin. So I appreciate you spending time with us. Um, how about life outside of work? So obviously, we've talked a lot about career and what you're doing professionally. I do like to ask our all of our guests what are some hobbies, passions, interests, or pursuits, some things that occupy your time when you're not working with financial professionals? Yes. Good question. Well, I do have three children. I wouldn't say children. One's a teenager, 16, and then I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. So that keeps me very busy. Um, My three-year-old daughter is very stubborn. So like it's constant battle with her, but she's adorable and super fun. So my kids keep me busy and we have, you know, living in Florida with the pool in the back. So it's a lot of swimming time and a lot of fun in the pool. Um, And then for me personally, um, I'm, I'm into tennis and now lately into pickleball because it's the thing. And it is super fun, not just because it's trendy, but it's actually really, really fun. I feel like I went from tennis to pickleball and now it's like, I feel like I'm in a movie where I'm like, like everything slows down because now I can, I can feel like the ball is so slow. I can like slam it. I can hit it. It's really fun. So I like pickleball and a new thing we just uh, got, uh, we met this guy who has something called a GNAT. I can't remember what it stands for, but on the back of his truck, he has a truck. He comes by here to work us out. It's supposed to be a quote unquote five minute workout. Okay. Mm -hmm. But basically he has a cold plunge on the back of his truck. It's like this barrel that's freezing 45 degrees and you get in it for your, like before you work out for like two minutes, it's hard as hell. If you've ever done, have you ever done a cold plunge? Plenty of times. Yes. Okay. Sucks, right? Sucks, but it's so awesome. So like every time I do it, like I hate it, love it. I get in there for two minutes. Then you do this workout, like on these rungs on the back of his truck. It's mostly like, I don't know, a lot of like, um, what do you call these things? Rows and things like that, working your back and working your legs and that stuff. Um, and you do like 10, 10 different things, five reps or something. And then when you're done, you get back in the cold plunge. And the second time is always a lot easier for me, but that's kind of a new thing we're doing that I'm having fun with because he's coming three times a week and I'm kind of excited to get in the cold plunge and then do a little workout, <laughs> even that's though awesome. I love, hate it. I do love, really love yeah, those, it. I feel like, I feel like the cold plunges are becoming a little bit trendy as in like more people, more average people are like speaking the praises of cold plunges. They've, they've like bit, certainly been around. I just haven't had access to that many of them, but I've done, whether it's at uh, like dedicated places or certain gyms will have like the cold plunges, but yeah, it's very mm-hmm. quite intense. Like you truly bone chilling cold. Right. You like step in and you're like, I feel like there's an icicle piercing my shin. If you, when you get into the cold, it's, it's the worst. I, I just did like an Instagram, like live on it. And I was like, I hate this. I hate, you know, like I'm, I'm like, I'm not, I know I'm trying to be positive, but the only thing I can do, like when those first couple minutes is like, I can do this. If I can do this, I can do anything. If I can do this, but I think it's like such a good mental toughness game. And I also think it's really good for your body. Where can the audience find you? We had a couple of links we chatted about throughout the conversation, but easiest way for them to access your content, your coaching programs, where should they go? 
Yeah. So you can go to my website, robincrane.com. It's R-O-B-Y-N-C-R-A-N-E.com. You can find me there. And then I would just like find me on social because I'm not always the best because sometimes it goes into the spam, you know, folder or whatever, but LinkedIn, I'm pretty active on. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Just look me up. Um, Instagram and Facebook are like, those are the top ones. And then if you can't still get a hold of me for some reason, just shoot a message to support at robincrane.com. And then, you know, we'll make sure to get to you. But um, I will say, you know, I, I don't know if the audience, you know, wants my help or whatever, but at least, you know, you can get a bunch of free tools on the website. And those of you who really do want to do things differently and maybe a different way, I might be able to help you. Who knows? So happy to help if I can. Awesome. Robin, again, it was a pleasure. You're welcome back anytime. I think we may have created some follow-ups for ourselves on challenges to, uh, to awesome. outreach and some other programs that could be fun for everyone. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Find us on Instagram at internal use only podcast or email us at internal use only podcast at gmail.com.